Easter is quickly approaching. Uh, we're just a couple weeks away from Easter, and we're, we're preparing to, to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But as we, as we approach that, that reality that Jesus rose from the dead, we first have to realize Jesus died. We have to realize, like, why did Jesus die? What did he go through as he approached the cross? And, and that's where we're at today in John chapter 18. So we've been going through the Gospel of John for a while now. This morning we're in John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. And we're going to see Jesus on trial. Um, Jesus has just left the, the Jewish religious leaders home and now he's um, headed to the Roman governor's headquarters as he's, he's been arrested. Now he's going to stand before Pilate. And we're going to start our time together by reading the verses that we're going to study this morning. So John chapter 18, verses 28 through 30, excuse me, through 40, it says this, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have this, um, this record of what you went through, Jesus, on these hours leading up to the cross. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word, that you would use my, my mouth and my voice to communicate your word and your truth to each of us. God, I pray that, that you'd open up our hearts to receive what you want to speak, and that we would leave here, Lord, more in love with more, you and more uh, grateful for who you are, for what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're like me as you're reading this, you're like, I've got a few questions about um, what's happening here. Like, how can, how can you even call this a trial? It's, it's a completely unjust. How can, how can a governor find someone innocent and then say, yeah, but I'm going to deliver them over to be crucified? 
Another question, why do the Jews refuse to enter the Roman people's um, complex, but they'll willingly kill the Son of God? And how do they then choose to release a robber instead of releasing Jesus? I think these are questions that are, are good to ask, but also the part of the, the craziness in this situation is, is highlighted by John to show us the reality that, that God can use the most unjust and the most um, confusing of situations to fulfill his purposes in our lives. To remind us that God is, is in control even when humans are completely out of control, which we saw last week at the beginning of John 18. And this is good news for us this morning that we're going to see in this scripture because at times we can be like the religious leaders who choose our religious rules, our customs, instead of Jesus. There may be times when we're like Pilate when we know the right thing to do and yet we choose to do something else. And in those moments, Jesus is still present with us. Jesus continues to be patient with us and ultimately Jesus is going to give his life for us so that we can be with him forever. So if you've ever struggled to believe Jesus, if you've ever been religious but you don't really love Jesus, or if you've forgotten the beauty of what Jesus has done for you, press in this morning. Ask God to speak to you because I believe that he's going to speak to each of us through his word. What we're going to do as we go through this text is look at each of the main characters that we see and we're going to learn about ourselves and we're going to learn about God as we see them and their interactions with Jesus. And then we're going to end with the best news you've ever heard. So stay tuned for the end. The first of the characters we're going to look at is the the Jewish religious leaders. They um, are really playing a key part in this story. And it's from them that we're going to learn that prioritizing religious rules over Jesus is dangerous. Prioritizing religious rules over Jesus is dangerous. So Jesus has just previously been questioned by the Jewish high priest, and he is now being brought to the Roman, um, the Roman headquarters. And the second half of verse 8 tells us that the Jews who brought him to this, this complex refused to go inside. It says they won't go inside because they don't want to become unclean and then not be able to eat the Passover meal. And this is confusing to us in our context, but just to explain it a little bit, the Jewish um, religion had some, some laws that were called ceremonial cleansing laws, and basically how it worked is the people had to be ceremonially clean in order to be able to eat the Passover meal. And if they entered a non-Jewish space, so if they were to go into the Roman headquarters, they would become ceremonially unclean, which would mean they would not be able to eat the Passover meal. We're like, okay, it makes sense that they want to be clean for the Passover meal, so it makes sense that they wouldn't want to go into the Roman headquarters until we realize what else they were doing. They were delivering an innocent man, their Messiah, the Son of God, over to those Romans, hoping that the Romans would be able to put him to death. So they were, they were so religious, so, so consumed with their rules that they would not go into the Roman headquarters all the while they were wishing for the Son of God to be killed. 
They were trying to get rid of God's son. So these religious leaders looked really good on the outside. They were clean. They were put together. They were good people. But this event shows us what was going on inside of their hearts. Their religion was all about them. They wanted to to be respected, to, to look good, to be popular, but they hated Jesus. And earlier in, in Jesus' ministry, Jesus had many, many interactions with these Jewish leaders, and in one of those interactions, he called them whitewashed tombs, which is quite the uh, insult if you ever want to use it for someone. But um, basically, you shouldn't, but he said, like, like, you look really good on the outside. You look beautiful. You're clean. You're awesome. But inside are dead bones. At another point, he tells them that, that you are blind guides who are straining at a gnat all the while swallowing a camel. Basically, he's saying you're following every rule so perfectly, so perfectly that you close your mouth when you're walking so that you don't accidentally swallow a little tiny bug but you don't realize that you're swallowing a camel because you're rejecting the Son of God. Jesus used some really interesting word pictures. And so this scene, though, is, is nothing new for the religious leaders, but it does show us the danger of making religious rules more important than Jesus. See, they thought that they were honoring God by not entering into the Roman space, all the while trying to kill the God that they were trying to honor. We see the clearest image of their hearts in verse 31. They tell Pilate, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So in this moment, they're saying, like, we want to follow our rules. We want to follow our laws. And so can you kill Jesus? We actually don't legally have the ability to put him to death, but we want him dead, so can you please do it? And I wonder, as we, as we consider this, as we consider their, their adherence to these religious rules and their rejection of Jesus, if there's been any times in our life, or even if there's areas in our life right now where we are making our personal rules, our personal convictions, or even our personal preferences more important than Jesus. I've had to confess that there are plenty of times where I've done this. Even as I've gotten to know more, more pastors and churches, I've, I've gotten to, to realize what's, what's in my heart that sometimes I can be so quick to judge uh, another church, another pastor based on my personal preferences more than on their love for Jesus and their obedience to Jesus. But God has revealed to me as I've even processed this that that's sin because it's, it's judging based on the outward appearance, based on my preferences and not based on God's heart. So I've asked him to forgive me, to, to change my heart, and then something amazing has happened. And now instead of immediately jumping to some conclusion about a pastor or a church based on my personal opinion, my personal preference, I've gotten to actually know them as individuals, to interact with them, to hear them pray, to watch them serve. And what's happened is that my love for Jesus has grown. My appreciation for the fact that, that each pastor and each church is uniquely wired by God for the work that he has given them to do has grown. 
A recognition of the, the diversity in the body of Christ has increased. Noticing that there's, there's different types of churches that can reach different types of people. But all of that has one uniting factor. And the uniting factor is that Jesus brings his people together. See, all of God's people, everyone who has turned from sin and trusted in Jesus is part of the the big C church, the, the body of Christ. Every follower of Jesus throughout the world is part of Jesus's church. We look different, we sound different, we, we have different sized gatherings, but we worship Jesus as the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And I wanna call us into that reality to, to celebrate what God is doing here and in other places. When it's easy for us to turn our preferences and our our rules into doctrine, when we make little disagreements, huge deals, I pray that God would help us realize the, the dangers of that and the beauties of standing together on the fact that one day all of us, every follower of Jesus, will be standing around the throne of God singing, worthy is the lamb. People from every tribe, every language, every nation will be there together. Jesus is all that's important on that day. So Jesus can be all that is important here. From the religious leaders, we, we see this danger of prioritizing our rules, our, our preferences over Jesus. But now I want to consider the Roman governor named Pilate. From him we learn that, that each person must make their own decision about Jesus. Each person must make their own decision about Jesus. As Jesus and Pilate interact, Pilate is consistently yielding his um, decision to the Jews. In verse 31, he tells the Jews, hey, go take Jesus and do whatever you want with him. Later on, he says, I find no guilt in Jesus, but um, do you want me to release him or this other guy? And they say, release this other guy. And so he says, all right, I'll release the other guy. So instead of listening to Jesus, instead of coming to his own conclusion about Jesus and then acting upon that conclusion, what we see in Pilate is that he just simply does what other people tell him to do. And ultimately, that posture leads Pilate to deliver Jesus over to be crucified. But as I was reading this chapter, I was noticing how how interesting the questions that Pilate asks Jesus are. Listen to these questions. In verse 33, Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? In verse 35, he asks him, what have you done? In verse 37, he says, so you are a king? And in verse 38, Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? Imagine the incredible truths that Pilate could have heard from Jesus in response to those questions if he would have been genuinely curious. Right, when Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus could have told him about how he is the king of the Jews who had been promised for generations to come. He could have told him about all the promises that God had made and that Jesus fulfilled. He could have told him about how he is the son of God who has never sinned and yet has come to take away the sin of the world. When Pilate asked Jesus, what have you done? He could have responded and told him, well, all that he did. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised from the 
he raised people from the dead. He fed the masses. He forgave sinners. He taught the way of God. He, he prayed for his disciples. He lived a perfectly sinless life. When Pilate asked Jesus, so you are a king? He could have heard about how Jesus is a king and how Jesus is, is coming back in glory, how he's gonna bring the new heavens and the new earth with him. He's gonna establish a brand new world where there's no more pain and no more tears and no more crying because the old things will pass away and all will become new. And when he asked Jesus, Jesus, what is truth? He could have heard Jesus say, well, I am the truth. All truth finds its source in me. Everything I say and everything I do is eternally true. But Pilate is more concerned with what the Jews want him to do with Jesus than what Jesus is actually saying. See, Pilate was used to hearing people say, I'm king, and gathering some people and and going to, to try to start a revolution, and Pilate would be able to quickly get rid of them, but he knows that Jesus is different. As he's listening, he says himself, I find no guilt in him, but he doesn't act upon that conclusion and let him go. Instead, he does what other people want him to do. And considering Pilate's interaction with Jesus here, we need to ask ourselves what decision we have personally made about Jesus. Pilate is refusing to to bow his knee to Jesus in this interaction. Instead, he follows the pressure and sentences him to death. But oftentimes in in a church setting, those roles can kind of reverse. Perhaps family members um, love Jesus, serve Jesus, walk with Jesus, and invite you to to join them um, at church. Maybe you you come and you you participate because you know that that's what your family or your friends want you to do. But if you're honest with yourself, you're like, "Ah, I don't really love Jesus though. I'm not walking with Jesus in my personal life. I just view Jesus as someone that I interact with sometimes at at church. I go and I, I sing some songs about him. I hear some stuff about him, but but I'm just really doing it to make other people happy. But you're skeptical, you're full of questions, perhaps fearful of what choosing to truly follow Jesus will will mean for your, your friendships, your relationships with people, your future plans, the way you live your life. But if that's where you're at today, or if you're listening and that's where you're at, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad that you're, you're, you're processing this. I'm glad you're around people who love Jesus. And the Bible says that God is patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to give you new life, but you must make a decision to follow him. So can I ask, what, what are you waiting for? What is it that, that's holding you back from, from taking that step to, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, to walk with him? You must make your own decision about Jesus. We all must make our own decision about Jesus. And as we consider what decision is that gonna be, what am I gonna do with Jesus? Let's look at Jesus and how, what he is doing in these verses. As Jesus interacts with Pilate, we see that when it seems like the kingdom of the world is winning, Jesus is building his kingdom. 
When it seems like the kingdom of the world is winning, Jesus is building his kingdom. As this trial is happening, it seems like Jesus has lost control. It seems like he's simply at the mercy of the other um, leaders of the religious and the political leaders. But actually God is fulfilling the plan that he had established from generations before. The charges against Jesus were, were brought by the Jews But if the Jews convicted someone and if the Jews sentenced someone to death, their mode of killing that person was always by stoning. They would always throw stones at them until they were killed. But as Jesus spoke about his death, every time he spoke about his death, he was talking about how one day he was going to be crucified. So how is it going to be that that God is going to make Jesus' prophecy about being crucified come to pass? How is the form going to change from stoning to to crucifixion? Well, he's going to involve the Romans in this whole situation. See, the Jews bring Jesus to Pilate, and they tell Pilate, it's against our law to kill this guy. So can you kill him? It's literally what they're doing. And John makes this note after Jesus is brought to Pilate in verse 32. He says that this happened to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. It's yet another example of how God is in control, even when it seems on the surface like he has completely lost control. It shows that Jesus knew exactly what awaited him and he still went to the cross. He knew it was gonna be awful. He knew it was gonna be a torturing experience, but he knew it was the only way for your sin and for my sin to be forgiven and for us to spend forever with him. And now as Jesus is standing before Pilate, we have the son of God interacting with a Roman governor. Pilate begins asking Jesus about his identity, whether he's the king of the Jews. And Jesus responds by talking about his kingdom. Verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, My servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. See, as I mentioned earlier, Pilate is used to to arresting and sentencing people who would rise up against the government. He has seen plenty of crazy people claim to be king, grab a few people to follow him, and then they they would die out and be gone before long. But he realizes that Jesus is not one of those people. Jesus tells him, I'm not here to set up a political kingdom. I'm not trying to take your place, Pilate. I'm not trying to take Caesar's place. If I were, then I would have gathered all the people that I healed, all the people that I fed, all the people that I taught, and together we would have fought so that I would never have been delivered over to the Jews. And that would be a massive group of people fighting to keep Jesus from being arrested. But he didn't do that. Instead, he knows that in this moment, he's here to communicate, my kingdom is not of this world. Instead, it's about to look like the kingdom of the world is going to win. The political forces, the religious forces will kill Jesus. They will put him to death. He will die. He will be buried. But that death is going to bring life to everyone who will trust in him. Jesus is going to establish his kingdom through death. 
And this is consistent with the upside down kingdom that Jesus consistently taught about. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He said that the greatest person among all of you must be the servant of all. He said if anyone wants to keep their life, they must lose their life. He said all who follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross and walk with me. See, Jesus built a kingdom that stood in direct contrast to the kingdoms of the world and that's exactly how it's supposed to be. And now Jesus is standing in front of a man who has a kingdom mentality, a a truth complex that was simple. For Pilate, Rome is the kingdom. Caesar is king. The army is our, our source of strength and political power and influence is our ultimate goal. Jesus tells this man, it was for this purpose that I was born and for this purpose that I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So the power of this world, Jesus is saying, is, is not true power. The kingdoms of this world, strong as they seem, are not eternal. Rome eventually fell. Nations rise, nations fall, kings come, kings go. But Jesus' kingdom, this kingdom that was established through humble death on a cross, is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. People are being added to it as we speak every single day. Jesus' kingdom is growing. It's a kingdom that cannot be destroyed because when they tried to destroy the king, when they literally killed him, he wasn't dead. Well, he was dead, and then he rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead. He walked out of that tomb that he was in on the third day. He ascended into heaven. He showed that this king, Jesus, has power even over death. Pilate one day would die and stay dead. Caesar died and stayed dead, even though they seemed so strong while they were alive. And Jesus, who seemed humble, who seemed powerless in this interaction, died, but didn't stay dead. And through his death, through his resurrection, he set up a kingdom that will never end, a kingdom of justice and truth and of life and of peace. And guess who gets to join Jesus in that kingdom? People like Barabbas. See, Pilate asks the people, do you want me to release Jesus to you, the king of the Jews? Verse 40, their response, they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. According to what we read about Barabbas, he was a bad guy. Right here, it says he was a robber. In Mark, we learn that he was a murderer and he was an insurrectionist. So if we were to ask who should die in this situation, an innocent man who has never sinned or a man who has stolen, killed, and tried to overthrow the king, I think we would all agree that that guy should probably be the one who dies. But the people tell Pilate, free Barabbas and send Jesus to his death. And he does it. Barabbas walks free. Jesus goes to the cross. If anyone knows what it's like for Jesus to take their place, it's Barabbas. But you and I, we're Barabbas. Jesus' death means our freedom. 
This is the great news I mentioned this morning. Maybe you would say, but I haven't killed anyone. I haven't robbed. I haven't set myself up as a king and tried to overthrow the government. But we have stolen glory from God. We have hated people. We have lived as our own God and tried to reject God and tried to to set ourselves up in his place, running our own lives. We have sinned against a perfect God. We are Barabbas. And Jesus took our place. Instead of making us pay the price for our sins for all of eternity, Jesus stepped in. He gave his life for us on that day, dying for my sin, dying for your sin. He took all of that punishment that we deserve. He took the cross that we deserve upon himself so that we could walk free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the best news that you've heard. This is the the best news that you stand on because it means that you have been brought from an enemy of God who deserved death to a child of God who receives life. You've been brought from an enemy to a friend, from an outcast to a family member. Your sins are forgiven. You're free to love Jesus. You're free to be loved by Jesus. You're free because Jesus set you free. And if you've not made that decision, then perhaps this is the moment. As Pilate had that decision, as the Jews had that decision, who's it gonna be, Jesus or Barabbas? Maybe for your life, you've chosen religion over relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've, you've been around Jesus, but You've only done it to make other people happy and now you're like, man, I think Jesus is actually the real deal. I think I actually need to give my life to him. Or maybe you think I've, I've sinned so much that there's no way that God could possibly want me. Well, I hope you've seen today that the cross of Jesus destroys all of those. The cross of Jesus proves that you can be forgiven. You can enter into relationship with God and you can rejoice that yes, you deserve death. We all deserve death, but Jesus has taken our place. He took that death upon himself and he offers us life. So will you trust in him? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that this is who you are and this is what you've done. God, I pray for anyone in here who has not yet trusted in you that Jesus, they would make that decision even now. That they would say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that my sin has separated me from you, but I've heard today that you died to give me life and I trust in you. Jesus, I turn from my sin and I give my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Give me a fresh start. And Father, for each and every one of us who see ourselves in this story, God, whether we identify even in this moment like Pilate or like the Jewish religious leaders or like Barabbas. God, I pray that we would see that Jesus, you came to take our place, that we would rejoice that we deserve death and you gave us life. God, that we would not take that for granted, but that even now as we continue to worship, that we would worship you in deep gratitude, that we did nothing. Barabbas did nothing except sin and he walked free. We did nothing except rebel against you and you freed us, Jesus. So thank you in your name.